Father, um, music is a is a tricky issue. Um, it's it's an issue that a lot of people feel very strongly about. And Father, you call us to to be unified, to come and worship together as your church. And that implies that sometimes we put aside those things that we hold very strongly unless they're rooted in your word. And, um, and Father, it means that we come and we submit ourselves to what you have commanded and, and given us and the instruction that you have provided. And so I pray that today as we, as we talk about this and we look at music, um, that, you would, that you would continue to guide us and give us wisdom. Father, protect me from, from going off on tangents and chasing things that are not beneficial. Um, Lord, help me to, to just articulate what I feel like you have revealed in your word and, and the things that guide us here at Three Rivers. And I pray that we would be encouraged and that you would free your people in this to worship you with abandon. Father, that, that you would empower us to come with liberty and, and proclaim your name and come boldly before you with thanksgiving. In music, and I pray that that you would do that so that your son would be exalted. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so I told you I cut a lot out of this, and and really this needs to be like a. I I feel like I could do six months of seminar on this. We would never do that. We can we can only do six months if it's biblical text, like we spent eleven months in Revelation. Um, so we won't do a topical study for six months, but. I had to cut a lot of this, so I'm just going to give you a couple of assumptions that I would love to dig into and spend a whole sermon on, um, but I just can't. So let me give you the assumptions that I'm starting with today, and uh, that'll help us all be on the same page. The first assumption is worship is the real issue, not music. Okay, Worship is the real issue, not Music, And if you weren't here a few months ago when Mitch uh, was in Revelation 19 talking about worship, let me give you his definition. I think it's a, a great one. Um, and it says, worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their minds, attention and their hearts, affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to the revelation of his glory and his majesty. Okay. That's worship, and that's the issue. And we're going to talk about that for a minute. There's, there are, is specifically one huge biblical principle that applies to our music as worship here. Um, and that, that affects why I titled this Music as Worship. Okay? We have a really bad habit as, a, as American Christians. Maybe it's outside of America, but I know, at least in the South, this is a big problem. We use these words interchangeably, worship and music. And it's just not true. Music can be worship. It should be worship, especially in the church. But they are not synonymous, okay? Worship is way bigger than music. Way bigger. I mean, you'll see maybe in a minute some of these uh, things. Paul, Paul just, he talks about worship as if everything I do is worship, right? And if you were to come to Paul and just start using worship and you mean music, I think he would say, your definition is a little small, okay? And, and I know it's colloquial. I know it's, you know, just maybe habit. But I want you to be aware of that. Worship is way bigger than music, okay? And when we say we need to worship more, we need more worship at Three Rivers, or we need more worship at this group or whatever, if you mean music, say music. 
Because worship should be when you're driving in your car, when you're stocking shelves at the grocery store, when you're, you know, sitting at your desk, staring at a spreadsheet, analyzing potential revenue, you know, whatever it is, that should be worship. You should do that out of thanksgiving in response to who God is. And so, so music can be worship and it should be. And we're going to talk about why we do music the way we do it. The whole point is so that the music we do here will be worship. But they're not synonymous, okay? Uh, music is not the essence of worship. It does not invoke worship necessarily. The essence of worship is a heart that is satisfied in all that God is. When I look at God and I, I see who he is and how he's revealed himself and what he has done, and my heart says, yes and amen, and I will live in response to that, and I will, I will change the way I talk and think, and I will fight for truth, that's worship. Okay, and that should overflow and affect our music, but they're just not the same. All right. Um, Hearing a sermon can be worship. You set your mind on that truth and you you affirm it in your heart and you say, amen, that's worship. So everything we do here should be worship, not just the music. The other assumption is that today we are going to focus on music as a part of corporate worship. All right. So if worship is this, you know, uh, stocking shelves, singing a song, everything in between, we're going to try to pare that down today and talk about not just music as worship, because driving in my car, I can be listening to music and worshiping. But we're going to bring it even more narrow because it's the only way we're going to fit it in 45 minutes um, and talk about music as a part of this, us gathering together on Sunday mornings. OK, so music is a part of corporate worship. And the assumption is that you agree that it should be a part of what we do when we gather together. Um, if you don't agree, maybe you will in a minute. We'll, we'll talk about that. But that's my assumption, that you agree we should do music. And as soon as you say that, it's got to look like something. It's gotta, we've got to make decisions about we can't do all music, right? So we've got to start making decisions. What music do we do? How, how do we do it? And so, um, so the rest of the time, or most of the rest of the time today, I just want to give you about five principles that govern our music at Three Rivers. Five guiding principles for how we do music. Um, and, and some of them are explicitly out of the Bible, and some of them are implications of the ones that are explicitly out of the Bible. So let's just jump right in. John chapter 4, if you would go to John chapter 4. And this will be the biggest one. It will probably take the longest. And I'm hoping to leave myself 10 or 15 minutes after this one to uh, finish the others. Mitch knows he's laughing up here. Because Mitch knows, point one, if it goes 30 minutes, you're done. I mean, there's no chance of getting the rest of them in. Um, John chapter 4. And what I want to do today is is talk about, I'm going to spend this time and just, we're giving guiding principles for music. And I've said music should be worship, but it's not synonymous. And so we need to know what worship is, how worship works, and then that will govern the music that we do. And so I think John chapter 4 is the best place to go for this. Um, and let me just read to you from verse 19, John four nineteen, a text probably many of you are familiar with. Um, Jesus is, is at the well talking with the woman who had... Five husbands, and then she was with a man who wasn't her husband, and, you know, very interesting conversation, a Samaritan woman. And, um, and Jesus 
tells her to go call her husband, and she says, uh, well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You know, I know your sin. And then she responds, and here's where we, here's where we pick up. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the, the first, and I would say this is the overarching principle for everything we do at Three Rivers, musically and otherwise, is spirit and truth. And almost all of these principles are something and something, okay? Spirit and truth. The next one, vertical and horizontal, excellent and sensitive. So spirit and truth. And I, I want to give you a little bit of background here because this absolutely blew my mind. And, and I'm leaning heavily for this on the scholarship of men who know what they're talking about, because I don't know Greek, but I trust these guys, and so I'm going to follow what they say. And in particular, John Piper uh, did a seminar that you have on your resource sheet, which we'll talk about later, but it's called Gravity and Gladness, the Pursuit of God in Corporate Worship. And this, this just really shook me a bit in a good way when I heard it. And so I want to take you through this for just a moment. Um, the word for worship Let's, let's go Old Testament first, okay? If you think Old Testament, there was, there was a Hebrew word for worship, but before, sometime before Jesus' day, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, and we call that the Septuagint, okay? And there's a, a lot of evidence to say that Jesus and the other disciples read the Septuagint. They, they used a lot of the Greek Old Testament. And, and the word for worship in the Hebrew, when it was translated into Greek, became proskuneo, is, I think, how you say that. Proskuneo. Okay? Proskuneo is used, I think, 171 times in the Old Testament. And it talks about worship. And it literally means to bow down, to physically fall down and worship. Okay? Jesus comes along and starts talking about worship. And he says things like this. We come to John 4. And Jesus says, the time is coming and is now here when you will not worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you will worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so he, he starts, he's doing something there, and the question is, what is he doing? And I think here's the answer. Proskuneo has all these implications about falling down, because it literally means to fall down. And if you read the Old Testament, when you think of worship in the Old Testament, all these physical externalities come about or come to mind right so sacrifices the temple you know all these these laws about how we worship and what we do and the altar and the sacrifice and whatever and then jesus comes along and i think he just redefines that and intensifies the focus not on externalities but on what's going on inside of you what's going on in your heart and i think he did that i think he redefined it the reason i i think it's it's huge is because in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you read proskuneo several times about people falling down at Jesus' feet. You see it in Revelation quite a bit where people fall down and worship. But when you get to the letters, 
when, when the disciples, the apostles are writing to the church and saying, this is how you should act as a body of believers, the word basically is non-existent. They don't use the word proskuneo. They don't use the word that the Old Testament used 171 times to define worship. They just leave it out. They don't even mention it. They'd never tell the church you should worship, meaning proskuneo, you should fall down. Why is that? And I think it's because of what Jesus does here. This Samaritan woman, put yourself in her shoes. She's seeing all this history. She's hearing what the Jews are saying. No, Samaritans, you can't worship over there. You've got to come to the temple, right? And, and she's seeing all that and she's saying, which one's right, Jesus? Can I worship here? Do I worship there? What's the rule? And Jesus says, you're, you're missing the point. The issue is not the externalities. The issue is not whether you go to the temple. In fact, I think Jesus is looking ahead saying, I'm going to tell my people to go into all the world and, and make disciples and teach people to worship me. And they're going to be really confused unless I, I let them know, I don't mean take the temple with you and do what you've always done in Jerusalem. It's going to be really hard if I hear Jesus say, go to all the world and teach them to worship, right? And then I think, how are we going to get that temple from Jerusalem, you know, to Zimbabwe. That's, that's going to be a trek, right? So I think Jesus comes in and says, no, no. The point is not externalities. The point is not literally falling down. The point is when you worship God, you worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think he radically redefined or, or clarified what worship was so that to the point that Paul never really talks about worship as a physical, external thing in a corporate setting. He talks a lot about you know, what you should and shouldn't do, but when, he, when it comes to the church worshiping corporately, he doesn't really give any instructions. And you will be hard-pressed to find specific instructions to the church about when you come together, this is the order of service, and these are the three elements that you have to have in, in the church. You know, and There are some good instructions uh, good, clear instructions, but you would be hard-pressed to, to justify the way we do church here as the way that the Bible says to do church, okay? Because there's just not a lot of stylistic instruction about how we should do music and how we should order the service and what all it should include. So and I think the reason is because Jesus took the emphasis off of external things and put them on spirit and truth. So I, I just want to spend a minute and talk about spirit and truth. We worship in spirit and in truth. And so spirit, I think, is a, a true internal experience of worship. So the biblical focus is not on externalities. It's on a true internal experience. And I have to pause there because I think some of us, me included, get this, this idea, which we see abuse of external experience we see manipulation of people's emotions by music in other churches or in other denominations or whatever we see people just creating this atmosphere where they're just kind of you know manipulating people i feel like sometimes i look at them and i think you're just you're trying your hardest to make people cry right now so that you can feel like we've all worshiped and that was amazing you know and my, my reaction to that is no and i want to run the other way and say it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you've ever raise your hand or cry or do anything. And that's true. And we'll talk about that some more maybe in a minute. It really doesn't matter if you ever raise your hand 
or fall down or cry or close your eyes. But it matters a whole bunch that you have some internal experience of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done in Jesus Christ for you. That matters. Do not think I can come here and just sing these songs and go through the motions and I've worshipped and it really doesn't matter if my heart is hard or soft or if I've felt any kind of thing. It matters a great deal that you have this internal experience of worship in your spirit. The spirit testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God. So I think that spirit, we worship in spirit and truth. And I think that experience, these, these two go together because that internal experience of worship should be a response to the accurate picture, an accurate understanding of who God is. Okay? Um, th- that, that matters. That I come, I don't just have some experience. Let, let me give you an example here. Uh, what if I told Mitch, you know, just came up to him one, one Sunday after church, and I said, Mitch, I just, I really love and appreciate you, man. I, I really appreciate everything you do. Well, thanks, Michael. I mean, why, why do you say that? What makes you, you know, I'm just welling up here. Man, I just love you and appreciate you. Well, why do you, why do you say that? I don't know. Maybe it was the lights, you know, were down and the music was on and, you know, it just got this kind of thing in my heart and, you know, it's just, you just kind of a soothing thought to me, Mitch. That's weird. You know, Mitch. <laughs> Mitch is probably going to be uncomfortable in that moment. Or I say, okay, I was in a dark room, there was good music playing, and you were just kind of a soothing thought to me. I've had a rough week, you know, just feeling emotional. So, you know, that's not, that's not really honoring to Mitch. It's not, it's really kind of a little uncomfortable for him, probably. So, the question then becomes, why do we so often allow ourselves to think of worship of God as an experience where we just come and the lights are dim and the music's good and I've had a rough week and it's just a soothing thought to think that there's a God out there who's taking care of me and I've worshipped. I think, I think God would say, no, no, no. That may, that may be a starting place to get you somewhere, but if that's all your worship is, that is not honoring to me. What, what would honor Mitch is if I come up to him and I say, Mitch, I love and appreciate you. Really, why do you say that? Because, man, you love the Bible and you preach the Bible and you're ready to pull the trigger to do things, to have an impact in this community and to make, make people love Jesus more because of how you lay your life down. And I love that you've adopted a child. You didn't just talk about it, but you, you jumped on it and did it as an example for the rest of us that we should follow that. And then it starts really honoring mitch because i'm he knows wow that michael knows who i am he's seen me actually do things and he's he's saying he appreciates who i really am not some weird thing that he made up and thought was me right so spirit and in truth um we want an internal experience but but we want it as a result of really understanding who god is okay um that's why you may come here and go to another church if you've ever visited another church and and you may think some of these lyrics are a little they're a little heavy they're a little much they're a little involved they're you know very concrete I want some that just say I raised my hands and I spin around and I whatever <laughs> we don't really do a lot of that because we want you to come into worship and set your mind on truth okay that truth also implies mental engagement I, I've 
talked about this quite a bit in, in previous times that I've spoken here, so maybe you get this. But there's a, a biblical idea that your mind is a muscle that you can set on things, okay? You don't just come blown by the wind in here and hope that God fills you up and you know get blown back out of here into the world. You come and, and actively set your mind on truth and your affections will follow, okay? That's a, I don't want to get Jonathan Edwards on you, but I've been reading the religious affections and, and the man is just amazing. He talks about how you set your mind on things and your affections follow what your mind approves. And so I think there's, there should be this idea that we come in and we mentally engage, we set our mind on truth, and we trust that our affections will follow that truth. When I say Jesus Christ is worthy of all honor and praise because he suffered death so that we would not die, but we could be a, a present to God to honor him, those kind of things my mind should say, that's true. I affirm that. I exalt Jesus for what he's done. I, I, I think that is right and good and i affirm it and then your heart says okay that's good i can i can run with that i like that but if you try to go backwards if you try to come in and just say i just raise my hands and i know you're going to fill me up and just come on with it come on with it you're going to be disappointed more often than not and and frankly i don't want you to come here and be able to do that and feel like oh i got filled up and it was so good when you really said nothing true about god you know, we don't want to, I, I, I just don't want to create an atmosphere where you can do that because I don't want to do that because it's not honoring to who God is. So that's enough on that. Um, you, you understand, I hope. So that should be a guiding principle for all of worship, but especially what we do musically here. Okay, it, it, that is the overarching principle. We want spirit and truth. We want you emotionally engaged in the music, but we don't want that as an end in itself. We want it as a response to truth that you've read on the screen about God or truth that you heard in the sermon, and then we want it to flow to God in worship. So it's not just, you're not the end. You're not a bucket to be filled. You are coming as a channel to take truth about God and say, I take it, and yes, I push it up as praise to you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. That's one, spirit and truth. And that, again affects the rest of these. That is the overarching principle. The next one is music at Three Rivers should be vertical and horizontal. Vertical and horizontal. And let's go to Ephesians 5. And this is probably the last biblical text we'll really look at heavily um, for time's sake, but I want you to I want you to see this. Let's see. Ephesians is after Galatians, right? I thought I brought my Ephesian-less Bible. But it's here. It's, it's in here. Um, Ephesians 5. I'm going to try hard not to read the whole chapter here. Let's, let's look at one verse, and I'll try to give you a background. Um, verse 15, or one little passage. Ephesians 5.15. Paul says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Rabbit trail. Anytime I see a phrase like that, I think I need to know what he's about to say. 
I need to obey this. Because I spent a big chunk of time in and right after college wondering, God, what's your will for my life? What, what am I supposed to do? Direct me. What's your will? And then I started reading the Bible and I think, wow, there's all these passages where God says, this is the will of the Lord for you. You know, pretty explicit. So when I see, understand what the will of the Lord is, get this, then I think, all right, radar's up. Let's pay attention. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, Oh, don't finish there. Giving thanks always. I wanted to spend 20 minutes talking about the connection between thanksgiving and music that's so explicit here. That singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks. It's not the end of the sentence. Those two are connected. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That sentence right there will preach. I mean, for months we could spend unpacking the implications of that. But one point here, vertical and horizontal. We sing to God and we sing to each other. Those are the audiences of our songs at Three Rivers. Um, I wanted to go through the Psalms. I've, I've been reading through the Psalms, and I wanted to kind of see if I could justify that from the Psalms. And it's a little harder because the Psalms sing to God. They sing to each other. They sing to the children of Israel. They also sing to my enemies. You know, do not rejoice over me, my enemies. Um, we don't really sing to our enemies very much here, but that's a, another issue. But mainly, we focus vertical and horizontal. We sing to God. Because it says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. But we also sing to each other because he says, do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, uh, this is why we do congregational singing. All right? Other than just mere aesthetics you know we don't have a choir up here we don't have we don't really do solo music where you know one person sings to the church not that that's wrong but just we have made a decision here we sing to one another and we sing to god and you are the choir doing that okay you come you sing to one another you sing to god don't watch me sing to god you sing to god um so this passage is also why i think we can say music should be a part of corporate worship all right, because Paul very explicitly says to the Ephesians, sing to one another. He's implying they're together. They meet together. And when you meet together, don't get drunk. Sing to one another. And I wonder why is that? If you, if you look at Ephesus in the New Testament, you see that they were a really interesting group of people, very involved in witchcraft and, you know, animistic religion and, you know, really an, an interesting cultural group. And I don't doubt thinking first century animistic religion and witchcraft, there was probably a lot of getting together and, forgive the expression, a lot of orgies, a lot of drunkenness, you know, and just doing crazy things. In fact, earlier in chapter 5, which I said I didn't want to read, but Paul says, um, he talks about, you know, therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Skip down, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And I think Paul's writing to the Ephesians and saying, listen, 
before you became Christians, you guys were involved in this culture. And now I'm writing you to not have, you know, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. Don't be involved in that stuff. (coughs) Excuse me. And then he says, don't get drunk with wine. So those things you used to do as part of that cultural environment and religion, don't do those things. Don't get drunk. Don't have sex. You know, don't do all those things. What do we do, Paul? What do we do when we get together? Sing. Get together and sing, you know. Don't don't be drunk, but sing to one another. Be filled with the Spirit and sing. So I think that's a good justification for why we have music as a part of corporate worship. And man, time is running away. So let me get through a couple of more of these. Um, spirit and truth guides our music. Vertical and horizontal. And then excellent and sensitive. We want our music to be excellent and sensitive here. Um, John Piper calls this undistracting excellence. I think that's a good phrase. I just didn't feel good ripping him off. You know, so we want to be excellent and sensitive. And what I mean is we want to be excellent, the band, the AV booth. We want to be excellent, but our excellence is not an end in itself. It is to create an atmosphere, an environment where you can come and worship freely. Okay, you can come and worship um, without being distracted, without without worrying about being embarrassed because the music you weren't sure what was about to happen and you sang at the wrong time, and we don't want to do those things that take away from you worshiping the Father. Um, so we want to be excellent in creating an atmosphere where you can worship. And I'll just admit, we can do better here. That's on me. That falls on me. And I've I have wrestled with this a lot and i've thought about should we just do big documents that explain to everybody here's how everything should go and make sure they read them and memorize them or should we just wait until something messes up and then correct it and that's kind of the approach i've taken but we can do better at this uh we can be more excellent so just hear that from me i want when we sing a word here i want that word to be on the screen right i know it's distracting when it's not I know I'm saying this after a couple of weeks ago, we had two weeks in a row where we didn't even have a screen for the first song, right? Two weeks in a row where the computer was not here or we didn't have it loaded or something. So just know we can do better there. But also hear this. Our excellence is not just aesthetics, okay? This is, this is the difference, and this is where I kind of get off the boat of high church, not that there's anything wrong with it. I just, for me, I think there are times where a chord, a weird chord that fits with the music or a, a really cool harmony or a crazy drum beat or something like that could really add to the musical experience. It could really make it an impressive thing. And in doing that, every one of you would say, what just happened there? That was that was crazy. And suddenly that moment is broken, right? I just, I, I just think the, the fourth or fifth verse of Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, every time I think about that hymn, I think about an organist at a church that I went to one time. And in that, I mean, they literally pulled out all the stops, you know, and just, and they're like playing 13-note chords to, to accompany that. And I think that's very impressive musically. But I, I was not focused on worshiping the Father in that moment. And maybe you could be. And I say, more power to you. And I, I love that. But I've just, maybe it's that I have a music degree, and so I want to analyze the music. But when we get, when things start, like that start happening, 
my total focus is on what's going on right there on the organ. That's really impressive. That guy is impressive instead of, Father, you are good. You are immortal, immortal and invisible and the only wise God. And so our excellence is not just aesthetics. And so we make decisions, and the band can tell you this, that sometimes I feel like I'm trying to rein them in because we're having fun. But I just feel like in this moment, if we do this, everybody's going to look right here and say, wow, this guy's really impressive, you know, instead of worshiping the Father. So um, I also feel the need in that moment, in this moment, to talk about one thing. And I'm going to call Carl Peterson out on this because he has asked me about this 25 times. And so I've got to address it. And that is, how can I say what I just said, that we don't want to draw attention to us? We want to be excellent but not distracting. And then some Sundays, not often, but some Sundays, we'll be doing a good bluegrass tune and we'll let Kelly Lane just roll off on that on that guitar picking and just go crazy. Or Russ on the mandolin and we'll just have a, you know, 20 bar solo break where the guitar is just going and you're not singing, you're not, you know, mentally engaged with lyrics. And what do you do in that moment? How do you deal with it? Should we even do that? And so I just want to say, I think instrumental music is biblical. I think that's okay to do. I don't think that it's wrong to do that in a corporate setting. The reason I say I think it's biblical is because when the psalmist writes Psalm 150 and he says to praise God with the, with the trumpet sound and the lute and the harp and strings and pipe and cymbals, I don't think he means always as a secondary you know, accompaniment to lyrics. Okay? The reason I say that, one reason is because he says praise, praise the Lord with crashing cymbals and then he comes right back and says with loud banging crashing cymbals. And have you ever tried to sing over cymbals that are going crazy? You know, I just think, that's, I don't think he just means underneath lyrics, be banging those cymbals as hard as you can, you know? I think he means instrumental music. The heart of a person plucking a string in praise to God is worship. And I think you can look in on that and you can praise God for that. And maybe you can't. All right. I understand. I, sometimes when when I'm sitting up here, I'm listening to these guys pick communion. I just worship. There's no lyrics. There's no concrete, you know, in, no concrete lyric on the screen or proposition about God. But I just listen to that. I think, God, you're so good for giving us music that is that beautiful. That's just that rich. And, and it just does something to my heart. And so thank you, Father, that you are good to do that. And so. So we don't do a lot of instrumental music. You, you understand that. Um, but when we do, I ask you to trust us that we come up here and we worship in our hearts. And we are not trying to be seen. And we don't want you to look at us and say, man, that guy is just flat incredible. I mean, it's just incredible. And if we do that, that's sin on us. Okay? As I said to the band very clearly, members of the band, hear me. If we come up here to be seen, we are in sin. And we are prostituting the worship of God's saints to fix something in our heart. And that is absolutely wrong. Absolutely dishonoring to God. And so we have to deal with that. But that doesn't mean that we just kick instrumental music out. Not a valid form of worship. Okay, so I ask you to trust that. And if you can't sit and enjoy that and worship God in that moment, 
sit down and pray. Repeat the last verse in your mind. You know, set your mind on something concrete that you can understand and appreciate. That's fine. But just know that's why we do it. And because it's fun. I'm just kidding. Um, but that's, that's why we do it. And I think we're okay doing that. So uh, last in the last three minutes, I want to I want to touch on one more very quickly. Artistic and intelligible. Okay? Spirit and truth, vertical and horizontal, excellent and sensitive, artistic and intelligible. We want artistic lyrics and music. Okay? We we value artistry in music and lyrics. There is power in a good poem, in a well written lyric. And it's the difference between me saying in Christ's death, God showed us mercy and, and gave us grace because Christ satisfied God's justice by his perfect sacrifice. That's a true statement. It's not really poetic. You know, it's, it's just a good, true proposition about God, that, that Christ satisfied God's justice. But when we say it like this, let us wonder. Grace and justice join and point to mercy's store when through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. And that's rich. That's, that's beautiful. And I think you've got 150 of those in the middle of your Bible where God said, hey, don't just, don't just make statements in the, you know, just common speak, but be artistic. Put words together that rhyme and have a meter to them, and, and there's value in that. And so we, we want that. But we, we want it to be artistic, but we want it to be intelligible, okay? We never want our lyrics to be obscure or cryptic. Do we want them to challenge you? Do, do I kind of take pleasure sometimes when we all sit and look at a screen and you're kind of like, okay, I want to get that. What does that word mean? You know, that's, that's good for us to... Engage. I like going and digging through and looking up definitions to understand things. I don't want you to do that every song. But know that I want you to be mentally engaged and, and we want to wrestle through some of these. But we never want our lyrics to be cryptic or enigmatic. Okay? We want them to be something that you can say, that's beautiful and I know what it means. And so that's a tough balance because we're all across the board on this. So just know that we tr- we're trying to find that balance there. Um, and then stylistically varied, just within the spectrum of music, we can't do Bach to Rock, can't do every bit of it. So we choose the spectrum that we can do excellently based on the musicians we have, the instruments that they play, the styles that they've played throughout their life. So we do a good variety here from contemporary Christian rock to old hymns to bluegrass, you know, um, but but we we have necessarily, necessarily a limited scope because of who we are and the, the music that we have, the musicians we have. And so um, I hope you like that. If you do, there's a resource page I passed out with some more music like that, like we do here. But uh, two other things I just want to throw at you and then walk away. It's so hard for me just to walk away. Um, but a, a couple other things. Things we don't do. So those are the guiding things for why we do music the way we do it. But what are some things we don't do at Three Rivers? And we we try very hard to be um, consistent with these. But one is we don't use music to attract people. That's not why we do music up here. Okay? We are not trying to build this church on a band. That's just, just not our heart. That's not, I don't think that's the purpose of music in a corporate setting. I don't think that that's honoring to God. To, to do music with 
someone out there in mind, but rather to do it with him in mind. And so we use music as a means of worship to God, not to attract people. And because of that, we, we don't use secular music. You know, we don't, we don't do Tom Petty songs first thing every Sunday morning, as much as Kelly Lane would love that, right? He loves Tom Petty, and I never knew Tom Petty until I met him, and now I love listening to Tom Petty. But, um, but we just we don't use that, and I feel the need to say that just because that's a growing, trendy thing in churches in America. And I just, you're saying a lot about how you view the church when you, when you use a, a, a song by The Who to kick off your service. You're really saying a lot to me about what you think the purpose of the church is, namely that it exists to pull people in from outside to sit and enjoy some entertainment. And, and you are not very far from becoming the Sunday morning variety show when you do that. And I have a big problem with a lot of churches, big churches, respected churches in Atlanta and around that are just a Sunday morning variety show. And they're always pushing the limit of how crazy and cool can we be with, with all these wild new things that blow your mind. And I just think at some point, you're not going to be the latest, hippest, coolest thing. And everybody's going to say, well, i got to go somewhere else. They're, look, you're doing all that with iPads. These guys over here are doing it with the next generation of whatever the technology is. You know, you, That's just not the, the function of music. And so you're just going to become that Sunday morning variety show, and we don't want to be that. Um, two, we don't exalt the worship leader or the worship team. I hope you get that. But hear me say, and you should be incredibly thankful for these guys. They come every Sunday morning real early, set up all this stuff. I mean, Chris is usually here before anybody else setting up most of it, so really thankful for that servant's heart. But they come and they set all this stuff up, and they stay after and break it down, and they don't get paid. You know, and, and they sometimes come, and, and we spend an hour and 15 minutes wrestling through songs, and then we say, you know what, that's not going to work. Just get rid of it for today. And it's like, what did I do the last hour and 15 minutes? So just be thankful for these guys who come never asking anything, never begrudgingly. They come and they use their gifts and they worship and they create an environment where you can worship. And, and you just don't know how thankful I am for them. And they make it easy for me to experiment with these things and say, I don't think we should do that song anymore, even though it's cool and has a rock and beat, because I don't think it fits in here. Then never, never have they said, Michael, you're just, you've missed it. Or, you know, they never push back on that. They're, they're just great and willing to worship and longing to help you worship. So, um, but we don't exalt them. We exalt Jesus, and that's why we exist. And so, uh, lastly, we don't emphasize external experience. Both, we don't expect you to, to fall on your knees and always have this weight on you of the glory of God and externally, you know, show that. But we also don't expect you to be glib. I don't expect you to come every Sunday with just a pasty smile on and just glory be to Jesus, you know, and just we don't want that. We want our music to be Piper uses the name of his his worship seminar. I love gravity and gladness. We want both of those. We want you to be happy as you possibly can be in Jesus and what he's done. But we never think that that is separate from I lost my child this, this week. That's a weighty, tough thing. And, and we know you live in that world. Or my, my child told me this week that he hates Jesus and, and he despises me for trying to raise him in church and indoctrinating him with all this stuff. And he, he won't talk to me. We know you live in the real world. 
And so we want our music. We don't want you. We don't expect you to come in and say, hey, I'm going to put a smile on. Jesus is good. You know, we want to wrestle with some of those things. We want to sing songs that say he gives and he takes away. And my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. We sing those kind of songs. So, so there's a, those are the don'ts. We don't use music to attract people. We don't exalt the worship leader. We don't emphasize external experience. Um, we want to exalt Jesus. And so the last thing I'll do is just talk you through this resource page. Maybe you got this. If you didn't, there's, there's some in the back. But these are just good. I've had, you know, a little over 45 minutes here to, to try to articulate this. And hopefully it helps. But I know it's not as deep as some of you want to go. So here's some good resources for you. Um, the top is just teaching, just articles or books about music as worship. Uh, Gravity and Gladness by John Piper incredible you know just just sit through that whole thing and and you'll just be blown away by just the breadth of what worship is and um you know you try to narrow it down after hearing piper talk about how paul talks about worship it's amazing why we still need hymns in a postmodern world the formative power of worship by kevin twitt go to igracemusic.com it's great he pairs music and truth against against the postmodern mentality that there is no absolute truth and how music helps us develop an appreciation for absolute concrete truth. It's, it's incredible. And then Worship Matters by Bob Coughlin. Um, he has a, a portion of that book that's just healthy tensions, I think is what he calls it. And that's worth the whole price of the book. Just the, health, just the titles of those healthy tensions will really get you thinking. Um, and then recordings. These are recordings that have shaped what I... What we do here, um, when I think about the sound of Three Rivers music, honestly, Indelible Grace music, that second one there, that's what I would love for us to sound like. Now, they have a studio, and they have a bunch of musicians that went to Belmont and, you know, lots of money and resource that we don't have. They probably don't have linoleum floors and drywall, you know. So those are things we compete with here um, for for sound in this room, but uh, just the sheer acoustics. But when I think about what do I want us to sound like? Both the content of the music, the lyrics, and then the actual style of the music. Those guys really, probably more than anybody, shape what I would like. Um, but all of these, and I put an asterisk next to the ones that have really deeply shaped me. What I like, what I, when I think that is music that I want to hear Three Rivers singing. Those albums with asterisks are just uh, dear to my heart. Derek Webb, if you go to his website, you're going to find he's a really hard guy to pin down. I, I even hesitated about putting him on here because I think he's kind of kind of ventured out. He's a rebel at heart. Um, he likes calling people down about things that he thinks are wrong. And so some of his le- most recent music is really difficult to stomach. Um, but this album, She Must and Shall Go Free, in many ways changed my mind about the church. When you listen to some of the lyrics on this album and the way he talks about the church and, and challenges Americans who use the church as a, a means to make money or to get some kind of emotional fix, um, it's just really, really incredible. But also there are a few words on there, words from the Bible, but that we don't think of when we listen to contemporary Christian music. One of my problems with contemporary Christian music is I feel like the lyrics are so you know, shallow, but, um, but he, he really goes deep there, so... 
Anyway, that's I tried to list those from the top as probably the most um, palatable music. The bottom is the most rocking outside the box. I mean, Sojourn Church, if you've never heard of them, they they're just they're awesome. But man, they like go from grunge rock to you know really weird. Um, there's this lady that sings with them that sounds like she's on drugs. <laughs> That's not a good thing to say. She sounds, I mean, like uh, like kind of a Janis Joplin type sound, but she's singing in worship to Jesus. So on drugs is probably sin for me to say that. Um. So, that's it. That that's that's a. I guess the right word was reflections on why and how we do music at Three Rivers. I couldn't take you as deeply into some of these things as I wanted to, but uh, what I'd like to do now is I'm just going to pray for a couple of minutes, and I'll be happy to talk with anybody in the back if you have questions about music, why we make certain decisions. Happy to talk with you, but hopefully this resource list will will be useful to you. Um, and so let's pray, and then let's just sing a couple in response. Father, thank you that you have not left us wandering aimlessly in life. Lord, you have given us your word as a guide, and you have given us uh, very concrete teachings and principles in that word that we can use to guide us in decisions we make um, based on are about what we sing and what we say and what we do and ministries that we have here. And so, Father, I pray that, that we would continue to pursue you in your word to understand how we should do music in a way that honors you. Um, Father, I pray that, that people's hearts here are receptive and, and can affirm some of this truth, though some of us may disagree on stylistic choices um, thank you for a people who will come and set aside personal preference to worship with your people. Father, we, we as a band, as a music group, don't want to abuse your people. We don't want to manipulate them. But Lord, we want to just offer an environment where your people can connect with you and sing praises to you and honor your name in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, please continue to work on us to make that possible. Um, fix us, soften us when we are hardened, when we come uh, with, with apathy and with uh, hardness in our hearts. May, may your spirit come through the truth of your word and the gospel and renew us and change us and make us like Jesus. And all of this is so that he would be exalted. He is the focus and may he be honored. In, in our music, as well as our thoughts, our actions, our jobs, our money, our relationships. We want all of our life to be worshipped to him. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.